This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 130. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about a few of the myths and the lies that we as writers are prone to believe, which of course can derail us and send us in wrong directions or keep us from going in the direction we should be headed. But Thomas, before we talk about that, I am excited about something very simple. I'm excited about spring. It's finally here. Now that means low 50s, right? When it's warm during the day. For you in Austin, and what what are you guys hitting temperature wise right now? I mean, is spring sprung? Oh yes, we we'll, we'll, we've had some days in the nineties already. Have you yay, really? Yay for Texas! Uh, wow, not anything in the hundreds yet, but I'm sure it's coming. But uh, yeah, it gets warm here uh, pretty soon. So I know some people are still covered in snow. Uh, not so for us. The snow has been gone for months. Okay, okay, and we have some other uh, actually truly exciting news we should talk about, right? That's right. Last time uh, when we recorded, we were at 98% funded. And shortly after we finished recording, we jumped over to 100% funded of our first goal. So the show is now going to stay a weekly show. Thank you so much to everyone who backed it. Uh, And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, this is our Patreon campaign where we're asking for listener support to keep things going. And our first goal was to hit $100 a month in support so that we could keep the show as a weekly show. And thank you so much. We we did it. That's right. So thank you for that. And we have uh, sold out our most expensive level. uh, So that's exciting. But I was able to negotiate uh, for our launch day. We did a big launch event on Facebook and everyone who signed up to be a Novel Marketing Insider on our website, which by the way, if you don't get the Novel Marketing emails, go to novelmarketing.com and sign up for that. So you can know about the cool stuff that we only send our email subscribers. Uh, We had a special uh, giveaway where if you signed up that day, they got a $25 course that I made with a CWI on amazing author websites, which isn't available uh, anywhere else as a standalone course. And I was able to negotiate with Steve Lobby to extend that deal. So now for the next month, everyone who joins our Patreon campaign at any level uh, gets free access to that course. And you can find out more at novelmarketing.com. Nice. Now, today's topic actually comes this idea of Talking about myths and lies that we believe as authors. This actually comes from Roland Denzel. His uh, website is eatmovelive52, the number 52.com. So you can certainly check out Roland's website. And what he said is, I'd love to hear you guys talk about other cliches or lies about being a writer or book marketing. Um, Like the best marketing is writing your next book or writing a good book is your best marketing move. Simple things like that. So Thomas came up with a list. I added a few things to it. And we're going to dive into myths and lies that we typically believe as writers. Oh, I will say writing your next book is some, you know, the best marketing is actually true. Yeah, that's (laughs) not a myth. That's not a lie. That is actually, that is the best thing you can do. Like Thomas and I have said often on this show, the best marketing tool is this 400 page brochure called your book. Yeah, so uh, sometimes cliches actually are true, but uh, Jim, what's our first lie? Our first lie is word of mouth is enough to make your book a success. Unfortunately, 
It is not. And the reality is, and we talked about this on a previous show, but people live in bubbles and word of mouth is maybe enough for you to influence that small bubble. But again, that bubble is going to be small. And so you need more than just word of mouth, which is, I guess, one of the reasons for this show, Thomas, and why people listen to us. That's right. We did a whole episode on this just a few episodes back uh, about word of mouth. Actually, we did a whole series of episodes on word of mouth. So I'm not going to belabor it here, but people live in bubbles. uh, And so you need to actually do marketing uh, if you want to get past. uh, Get into other bubbles. That's right. right. Uh, The second myth is that if you sign with a traditional publisher, uh, you don't need to worry about marketing. (laughs) So uh, that is false. (laughs) Unless your advance was in the six figures or seven figures. Uh, So it is actually, so with a lot of these myths, there's a kernel of truth. And if somebody is paying you a million dollars for your book, you don't have to worry about marketing for that book. They're going to spend another million dollars marketing the book. Uh, but for most authors, their first advance is $5,000, $10,000, which means that the publisher is just seeing what happens and you are fully responsible for doing the marketing yourself. Next myth is that indie authors don't make money. Now, like Thomas said, there's always a kernel of truth. Yes, a lot of indie authors don't make money, but There are some indie authors, and more than some, not just a few, but there are thousands of indie authors that are making serious money. And by serious money, I say anything over $100,000 is you're making some serious money with your writing. So it's very possible, and there are a lot of indie authors that are doing quite well for themselves. Yeah, some are making millions every year, some are making hundreds of thousands every year, and some are making, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, which is, uh, you know, a middle class salary, <laughs> and they're able to get there with their writing. So uh, now a lot of indie authors are making five hundred dollars a year or less. So uh, it is true, like a lot of these uh, indie authors don't always get rich, and it takes a lot of work. You have to be very sophisticated. Uh, in your approach. A lot of people try indie publishing and they're just not very well educated. They don't know what they don't know. Uh, and they're focusing on just the book instead of focusing on the business, uh, which actually I created a whole course on the business side of uh, writing. Uh, it's the Tax and Business Guide for Authors. And in fact, our patrons get 50% off that course, 50% off that course. Uh, so uh, those of you who are, are you patrons, saying Are you saying people should be patrons, Thomas? Is that what you're driving at? <laughs> what I'm really saying is that people should pay attention, especially indie authors, to the business side of the business if they're wanting to make money. Yeah. And consider yourself, you are a business. You are a small business. So really learning to act and operate like one is going to be a key to your success. That's right. Now, the next myth is that traditionally published authors don't make money. So uh, it's interesting because both sides look at the other side and they're like, oh, y'all are a bunch of losers. You don't make any money. And the reality is uh, there are a lot of traditionally published authors that make millions of dollars a year, just like indie authors make million dollars a year. In fact, the top authors The most well-paid authors are all traditionally published. So if you want to be making tens of millions of dollars a year, uh, typically you're going to have to be traditionally published in order to do that. There is a smaller, I would think, middle class of authors in traditionally published. So the mid-list folks, the folks who were making $10,000 or $20,000 a year, those people are going away. That's not happening as much in traditional publishing. And a lot of those authors are finding they're able to make more by moving to indie if they have the skills. Not all traditional published authors have the skills. And in some ways, it's a young man's game. Uh, So we haven't talked about this a lot, but what I'm noticing is that the independently published authors who are making lots of money tend to have gotten started younger. 
it's not a universal rule, but they have to learn a lot of things and be willing to learn a lot of things. And I've noticed that sometimes with older authors, they're not wanting to learn about, you know, KDP tagging and website search engine optimization, all these things that, you know, requires lots of learning and you have to be willing to learn. So it's not about how old you are. It's about how old you are at heart. I guess is a better way of saying it now, willing to learn new things you are. I like that. <laughs> Young at heart. Exactly. What's the next um, lie, Thomas? So the next lie is that you can make a living writing from your heart. Uh, that if you have a story that's burning in your soul, that you can make a living writing uh, from your heart and telling that story. And the reality is, is that you make a living writing for your readers. And I disagree with Ted Decker on this. Ted Decker makes a big deal about writing from your heart. And that this only works if you are in tune with the universe. And almost no one is in tune with the universe. Like that's not practical advice to give somebody who's not in tune with the universe and what is on their heart is what people are burning to read. And I think even Ted makes adaptations to his writing in order to accommodate his readers. And if you look at the people who are making money, they are writing with their readers in mind and trying to have elements of their stories be things that their readers can relate to. Well, and I and I disagree with you a little bit, Thomas, and I agree with you a little bit. So I disagree with you because I think to write effectively, you have to write from the deep places in your heart, the things you're passionate about, the things that make you, quote, open a vein and bleed onto the page. So maybe a better way to say that is you have to write from an authentic place. You cannot craft a story and go, I feel no passion about this, but I think this is what will sell. I think you have to write from that deep place. At the same time, I will give you this. You have to write something that's a universal need or something that you know will connect with a certain segment of the population rather than just going, well, no one's ever listened to this type of music before. And it, it you know, it sounds horrible and it's fingers on a chalkboard, but I'm going to do it because, because I feel strongly about doing it. There is room for avant-garde at the same time. There has to be some kind of universal need or hope that you're answering. And so if you think about it like a restaurant, when you're at a restaurant, you want the chef to put his heart into the cooking, but you want the chef to make what you ordered, <laughs> if that makes sense. So you don't go to a restaurant and just tell the chef, make whatever you feel like it. Uh, that would make you uncomfortable. And so I think you're right. Like with all of these, there is a, a kernel of truth inside of each lie, and you do have to put your heart into your writing, but uh, you have to write for your readers, not for yourself. Next myth is don't read others other writers work or, or you'll end up imitating them. Well, the reality is, even if you try to be exactly like Hemingway, you are not going to come out exactly like Hemingway. You're going to put it through your own filters. It's going to be through your own life experience. It's going to be the way words sound rhythmic to you. And so, yes, as Thomas just mentioned, there's a kernel of truth. You don't want to try to imitate to the point that it's not you anymore. But sometimes that's a great way to find out who you are and a great way to find out your voice is try to to imitate Hemingway and then try to imitate Stephen King and then try to imitate a number of your other favorite authors. And through that process of trying to write with different voices, oftentimes you'll come to your own voice through doing that. And especially if you're writing genre fiction, you have to read in the genre that you're writing in. If you think that all science fiction is bad and you want to write a science fiction that's good, you know who you're not going to reach? The people who currently read science fiction, because you know what? 
they don't think that all science fiction is bad. They like it. And you need to be reading the <laughs> stuff that's popular so you can see what people are enjoying and saying like, oh, well, those are the ignorant masses and they have very unrefined tastes and they you know, don't appreciate my masterpiece. I'm like, okay, that's great if you want to feel that way, but it's not very useful if you actually want to sell books to lots of people. Uh, the reality is, is that you have to be in resonance with your genre. You can't be too different. And you need to know what tropes in your genre people are enjoying reading, what they're looking for, and, and ultimately how to thrill your readers. And it's, I, I, I do a lot of consulting with authors, and I always get nervous when somebody's like, oh, well, I don't really like the books in my genre that I'm writing in. It's like, oh, if you don't like the books in the genre that you're writing in, your readers who like that genre probably aren't going to like your book. And they're often shocked when they're not getting good resonance and no one's buying their book. It's like, you wrote a book in a different genre, <laughs> or you, you wrote your book in the wrong genre. Pick a genre that you like and write in that genre. Hey, Thomas, I think next episode you should do the entire episode in that uh, little accent you were doing. About <laughs> my arrogant British person. I, no offense to any British listeners that we have. I, I don't mean to imply anything about Or no offense to any uh, arrogant British listeners. <laughs> uh, so our next myth is don't share your story ideas. They will be stolen. Jim? Yeah, this is a prevalent, uh, you know, the they'll, people will do the uh, poor man's copyright where they'll mail their story idea to themselves to protect it if it ever gets stolen. And and I used to run into this a lot um, when I was first starting out because I'd be with a lot of other beginning writers and they would be so worried about that. Well, the reality is ideas, great ideas, really are um, a penny a dozen, right? Because they're all out there. And what it comes down to is execution. It always comes down to execution. And I have this friend, Bob, and he worked a lot with me brainstorming my first, my first novel, Rooms. And I would come to Bob and I'd go, Bob, what do you think about this? And he'd go, well, Jim, that's a good idea, but it all comes down to the execution. And he'd keep saying this over and over. And it really took me a while to learn. Yeah, the idea might be great, but it comes down to the execution. And if somebody does not have passion for that idea, they're not going to take all the time it takes to make the execution work. And so I would encourage you to share your ideas because here's what happens when you share ideas. Someone will go, Ooh, that's interesting. What if you did this? What if you did that? Oh, you could do this. And your ideas will actually get better by sharing because this whole idea, I guess this is another myth, Thomas, writing a novel is not a solo endeavor in any way, shape, or form. In fact, just before Thomas and I started this recording, we were chatting a little bit, and I said, oh, I'm struggling in this area of my story, Thomas. And he's like, well, Jim, what about this? And hey, let me answer this question for me. And truly, I came out of that 10-minute conversation with Thomas going, oh my gosh, he's solved a lot of problems for me. So we would encourage you to share your ideas widely. You're going to get sometimes some terrific feedback. A, a book with a great idea that's poorly written will not succeed. A book with a kind of humdrum idea that's well-written will succeed. <laughs> because it, it, you'll see a lot of books that have the same idea. You know, the Space Marines, right? The really hot genre they're all space marines. It's the same idea in all of the novels. Yeah, they may be doing some different things. But the reality is when somebody's finished reading the most popular space marine novel, they then want to, or the most popular series, they would then want to read the second most popular series. And it's all about how well you're writing. And this is also true, bonus 
to, for business ideas. Your business idea is not special, making people sign an NDA before you share your business idea with them. It's not about the idea. It's about how well you are at actually making a business. Uh, speaking of business, we have a featured patron. Our featured patron is David Winters. Uh, so Jim, tell us about his book. Yeah, first of all, I'm just going to mention that David and I actually met back in Philadelphia, I want to say two or three years ago, and I was intrigued um, at that time with David's first book, which was a nonfiction title. Well, David has now written a novel, it's called Driver Confessional, and David's author name is David L. Winters, and this is a a story about a Christian rideshare driver that lands in hot water with the Russian mob. Interesting setup, right? Antonio and his cop brother must solve a murder before it's too late. David's website is not David L. Winters, so take note of this. It is sabbaticalofthemind.net. Our next myth is that posting your book on social media is an effective form of marketing. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so there, there are ways to use social media and we talk about it from time to time. Advertising can work, creating groups can work. Uh, but a lot of authors think that if they just share their Amazon page or they share their books page on their website on social media, that it will take off and spread. And the reality is, is that Facebook has changed the algorithm so that almost no one will see a book posted to Facebook. So if you have a thousand uh, likes on your page and you share a book, it's going to be seen by maybe three of those people. So 997 people will not even see it. Now, the click rate on Facebook is less than 10%. So if you have a thousand people and only three people see it, you'll have 0.3 people actually click the link to view the book on Amazon, which rounds to zero. And only a fraction of people who view the book on Amazon go on to buy it. So in order to sell one book on Amazon, one book through Facebook on Amazon, you need to have tens of thousands of followers. It's just not an effective way if you actually run the numbers. And if you do any kind of tracking, posting on social media does not drive sales. We say this over and over again. It does not drive sales. Uh, this is probably the biggest myth. And when I'm at writers conferences, I, I get kind of distracted because a lot of our listeners have heard us talk about this and y'all are super savvy, uh, but you're way savvier than your typical author. If you go at a writer's conference and they're all still believing, it's like, oh, I got to get my Facebook and promote my book there and build my Facebook following and build engagement on Facebook. And it's just like, no, that's not going to work. There, there is no amount of work that you can put into Facebook that you can use to drive sales in a meaningful way. Yes, you can do Facebook live videos and do a, a launch and that can help. We did a Facebook Live to launch the Patreon campaign. So we emailed it out to all of the insiders who gave their email address on novelmarketing.com. And you know a bunch of people came. It was a lot of fun. Um, but we didn't get traffic from posting a regular post on Facebook. <laughs> so no one saw that, right? Because only a small fraction of the people see the post. Uh, so uh, so social media is not your cure-all for your book marketing woes. Sorry, I, I, I ranted there a little bit. <laughs> Are you passionate about that, Thomas? <laughs> How do you feel about that? I mean, really. <laughs> uh, the next lie you should not believe, the myths you should not buy into is, you should never write for free. And sometimes you'll see people post this where it's like, I'm a professional. I'm not going to write. I'm I'm worth something. If, even if it's $10, I'm, it's worth $10 uh, to pay me to write. Uh, no, no. Be willing. I'm not saying you write everything that comes along and everything that is offered to you, but be willing to write 
and and not just something quick, but be willing to put time sometimes into writing for free. I'll give you an example from my own life. Uh, this was, gosh, probably back in 2010, and I had met Rochelle Gardner at a writing conference, and Rochelle and I became friends, and she said, well, you're a marketing guy. Would you be willing to do some marketing posts for my blog? And I said, sure, absolutely. I'd love to. And so I put up three, it was a series. It was three, three posts. And not long after that, I got an email from one of the editors at Writer's Digest magazine. And he said, Jim, are you really a debut author? And I said, yes, I am. He says, how would you like to be in the breaking in section and be profiled in Writer's Digest magazine? And for me growing up, you know, I subscribed to it for years. And so it was just, oh my gosh, it was a thrill to be in there. But also it was very good exposure for my book. And that all came from me saying to Rochelle, sure, I'll I'll write. I'll give you my expertise that I've taken years to learn and I will give it away to you for free. So don't be afraid to do that. And by the way, for those of you who are not familiar with Rochelle, she is a brilliant agent and she is a brilliant um, blogger too. I would encourage you to go to booksandsuch.com slash blog and find Rochelle's posts. Because again, um, every time I read them, I get really good insight into the industry. Rochelle was a former editor, so she's got that expertise as well. And the other thing about her that I enjoy is she's a good writer, right? Her posts are actually really enjoyable to read just from a craft standpoint as well. So uh, I encourage you to check that out. Yeah. As an author, your enemy is not piracy. It's not people reading your books for free. It's people not knowing who you are. It's obscurity. Your enemy is not piracy. It's obscurity. We've talked about this uh, a couple of years ago. We talked about this a few times on the podcast. We haven't talked about it lately. And the reality is that you've got to be well known. The only authors who care about piracy are the authors everyone has heard of. So Stephen King actually might make sense for him to try to crack down on pirates. But if and maybe he doesn't want to write for free. But, But the reality is if you're not getting a lot of traction, offering your writing for free is a way to get that attention short you know one way maybe giving away short stories like we talked about last week but it's also a way of getting you to become a better writer and this doesn't just apply to writing it also applies to speaking and when i was getting started with my public speaking career i spoke a lot for free i heard somebody say that zig ziglar spoke a thousand times for free before he ever got paid and at the end of his career he was getting paid a hundred thousand dollars for a one-hour speech and like the only way he got there was all of that practice right when you're being paid a hundred thousand dollars for an hour every um is 500 bucks <laughs> so <laughs> you better be able to give a speech that doesn't have a single um in it right it's like he was and he was a really good speaker and people would be happy to pay a lot of money to go in here and speak at events and but he didn't get there without that practice and so you have to be willing to do that practice you have to be willing to give away your work for free until suddenly there's so much demand for your free work that then you have to start raising your prices and you let your um the, the demand for your writing kind of set the prices so to speak Thomas, we have one more myth. Yes. One more. <laughs> and this, this, we're going to do a whole episode on this soon. Uh, I, in fact, I just wrote a whole blog post about this. But the myth is if you blog your book first, no one will buy it or your blog readers won't buy it. And that is false. <laughs> the truth is. Yeah. And we, we, Thomas and I talked about that. Maybe this is what spurred your blog post, but we saw a, a well-known blog say exactly this, that you cannot blog your book first. Publishers won't look at it. Agents won't look at it. And so I love that you brought this 
this one up. Thomas. It's true. And and there and if you're planning to go traditional, you do have to have a special clause in your contract acknowledging the fact that this has been published somewhere else first. Uh, because normally in a contract it says you have to agree that this has not been previously published anywhere. But you know what? Add that clause to your contract because having your book blogged ahead of time has huge advantages for building a following and getting readers and getting your book better. I did this with my very own book, Courtship and Crisis. I blogged it ahead of time. It made it a much better book. And the reality is your blog readers will be the first in line to buy your book, just like book readers are the first in line to watch the movie based on the book. And in some instances, like Julia and Julia, which is a movie based off of a book, based off of a blog. So it can, you can go the whole way. So don't listen to anybody who tells you, oh, well, if you blog at first, there's not, it's not bad things can happen. I give you example after example of books that I've read that started off as blogs. And the chapters that are in the books are still online as blog posts because those are free commercials for the book. A book is a fundamental different, fundamentally different experience than a blog, and they don't compete any more than movies and books compete. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And there was an ex- exclamation point on the end of it, Thomas. I could, I could hear. I have that. lots of I rants on that. this episode. I apologize. We'll be more <laughs> calm next week. Yeah, that's right. We'll relax. Um, with the sponsor for this episode of the Novel Marketing Podcast is our Patreon account. We're excited about this because of all the extras that we are able to give people at the various levels. Uh, Again, if you want to check it out, you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash novel marketing. Or you can go to novelmarketing.com and you'll find a link there. But again, we suggest you go directly to patreon.com slash novelmarketing.com. And a reminder, if you back at any level, in the next four weeks, you'll get Thomas's $25 course on how to have an amazing author website for free. All right. Thanks uh, to those of you who stuck around past the ad. We have a special prize for you. As you know, uh, every once in a while, we're going to create a free resource that you can download for the first month that comes out. And those of you who are on Patreon can download it uh, in perpetuity into the future. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> That's right. But this month's re- resource is the 2018 Marketing Resources for Authors. So it's a resource of resources. Yo, dog, I heard you wanted help with your marketing. So put help of your marketing in your marketing. So uh, this, I put this together for Writers Conference that I wasn't able to go to. They asked me to put together a list of resources uh, for their authors to help them with their marketing. And so this is a list of some of my very favorite blogs for authors, my very favorite podcasts for authors. You already got one of them that you're listening to, so good job on that. Also, some of the top books on book marketing. Uh, I read a lot of books on book marketing. Most of them are no good, uh, but some of them are treasures, and so I'm featuring uh, those in this. And then also some online tools to help you sell more books. Uh, These are all things that I recommend and have found very helpful for authors, and you can get it for free at novelmarketing.com forward slash 130. And that's the show notes. You just type in your email address and you'll get this resource for free. And then, of course, it will be on Patreon. You've been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.